pray after me. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that we will hear today. May they root in my heart and my mind. May I live them out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any great story has a hero and a villain. The villain creates tension in the story and adds suspense to the outcome. The villain enhances the emotions that you feel about the story and about the characters, and it adds drama. The villain reminds us that there is evil in our world, trying to keep good from happening, trying to keep good from being successful. On the other hand, the hero is the one who is counted on to defeat the villain. The hero is the one who fights for good, who protects those who are in danger, and who helps us to overcome the evil. Today we are in Matthew chapter 13, as we're continuing our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to look this morning at four stories, four parables, that Jesus tells in this chapter. We're going to look at how, through these stories, he draws people in to the message that he wants them to, to know, to hear, to understand, to apply to their life, to our life. Jesus will talk about the challenge of living in a world where evil and evil people exist. The importance of planting seeds of faith, of finding the great treasure that Jesus has for us, and joining with God and gathering up those who would be Christ's followers. So, let's read again Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Jesus, oh, whenever you see the yellow, please read with me. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in, in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Now, of course, we understand that the, the farmer, the farmer is Jesus Christ. The Son of Man. And one of Jesus' roles while he was on this earth was to bring the kingdom to earth here. To help us understand who God is and our relationship to God. And our role as servants, as followers, as children of God. To bring people to faith and to build his kingdom. Jesus was establishing the Christian church. Building a foundation. And then setting the church loose to evangelize in the world. But we see another force at work, an evil force that is planting weeds within the weeds. As Jesus tells this story, this picture would be very clear to a Palestinian audience 
the first century. Tares or weeds were one of the curses that farmers encountered. The farmer would labor hard to, to make sure he planted good seeds and try to make his crop the best crop it could be. And that the, the soil was prepared to receive these good seeds. The challenge, though, is that the tares or the wheat in their early stages looked like the weeds. And by the time it was determined that they were weeds, their roots were intertwined with that of the weeds. And it was dangerous to pull them up because you would pull, oftentimes, pull up the wheat with the weeds. They could not be separated. So the practice was to let them grow fully, to, to harvest all of it, and then to separate the wheat and the weeds once the harvest was complete. We need to understand that Satan wants to mess with Jesus' field and wants to cause great problems by planting the weeds among his people. Satan wants to keep good seed from being planted in people's hearts. And so Satan is constantly at work. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this in a little bit different perspective when he says to us in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, the, the reason why Paul says it this way, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil forces, is because Satan is the one who makes this evil happen. Satan is always at work, always trying to do bad in the midst of what the good God is trying to do. Satan is sowing dissension in our world. He is blinding the eyes of people to God's truth. Satan is hardening the hearts of people so that they will not turn to Jesus. Jesus says, regarding the tares, let them grow together until the harvest. Now the harvest that Jesus is talking about is the judgment day, the day when Jesus will come back and he will judge all people. We've talked about this before, about he will, those who are in Christ will be judged not guilty, right? Will come into heaven. And those who are not of Christ will be judged guilty and sent away. But until the judgment day, the tares and the wheat will be together. They will live together. They will grow together. Why would Jesus let Christians and non-Christians live together? Be both in the world. Because we are called as Christ followers to sow the seed of faith to those who do not believe, to those who know not know Jesus, to those who do not yet understand, understood the truth of the gospel. Because God wants us to share the love of Christ with those who don't know that. To those who have gone astray, to those who have lost sight of what is good and right and true. Jesus tells us the separation will take place in the end. Jesus is the one who will make the judgment of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, who spends eternity with him and who spends eternity away from him. It's not our job to judge. It is our job to love. It is our job to share the truth of the gospel. Jesus tells us that the separation will take place in the end. He will be the one who will be there to, to make the final judgments. When I was growing up, I don't know if you remember, many of you probably remember this, but I, was, I used to watch Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Do 
Scooby-Doo was a lot of fun. Scooby-Doo was uh, about five characters, Freddy, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, and his dog, Scooby-Doo. And they would drive around in this mystery machine van, and they would solve crimes, right? There'd always be some, something going on, somebody causing problems in this particular town they were in, some bad person that was doing bad things, right? And in the end, they would always unmask the person. And they were always very surprised at who that person was. Do you remember that? Always at the end, there was some masked person, and they would go, you see it a lot of the bottom slide, and they would unmask the person, and they like, oh, oh, it's Mr. Withers, or it's whoever, right? That's a lot of fun to watch that show. Well, only Jesus in the end will know who his true followers are. All others will be unmasked on Judgment Day and found not to be true followers of Christ. Matthew 13, 41-42, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We do not... We want as few people as possible, right, to not know Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. I hope that is a desire in your heart. And so because of that, we are called to love and to share the gospel. That should be our commitment. That should be our goal. That should be our determination each and every day. And then we move on to the next parable. Matthew 13, 31 to 32. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. You might have heard the, the phrase, small but mighty, right? Just because something is small doesn't mean it isn't good. Doesn't mean it can't be mighty or powerful, right? But so often we think that bigger is better, right? A larger church is better than a, and more attractive to, than a smaller church for so many, right? Larger, bigger people are more intimidating than small ones, right? I know that from experience. I was always small when I was growing up, right? And I always had to try to prove myself, to show that I could do the job, to show that I could compete. That's probably why I'm so competitive, right? To show that I deserved to play. I deserved to be chosen. I deserved to be on the team. Even though I was small. To gain acceptance. To participate in what others were doing. Jesus is helping us understand that in the beginning the gospel will be small. That it would grow and become great. It would grow and grow to be very big. All Christians of all time are part of this story. We right now are a part of this story from the very beginning of when Jesus was here. And now this story, the gospel has been spread and his kingdom has grown and grown and grown. And we are part of that story. When we share the gospel and when other people believe, they too become part of that story. The small beginning has become Amazingly great. Now mustard seeds are small little round seeds. And they're about 1 to 2 millimeters in diameter. So very, very small seed. 
but they can grow to become very large trees. Very large trees. Between 6 and 20 feet when they are grown. And 20 foot spread. And sometimes they can even grow to 30 feet tall. From this little tiny seed. To this large tree. When we plant a seed of faith. When we speak the gospel to some, someone, it might seem insignificant. It might seem small. But with God's work and with prayer, that seed can be rooted in someone's heart, in someone's mind. And it can grow in faith. And when that person believes and starts to serve the Lord and be a faithful Christ follower, then our little planting of the seed becomes this great work as they become a part of the kingdom of God. Furthering the gospel in the name of Jesus. We live in a world that wants instant gratification, instant results. Jesus reminds us here that oftentimes it will just start with something very small and it will take time. It will take prayer. It will take love. It will take nurturing. But in time, that seed of faith that we plant will grow and grow and be something great and wonderful in the kingdom of God. What is the most treasured possession you own? Now you can go a lot of different ways with that question, right? Maybe if you're looking at value, if you own a home, then probably in value, your home is probably the, the greatest treasure you own. In importance, it may be something like a diamond ring that you own, or even photo albums that you have that can never be replaced. Now, I have a wedding ring here. If you look at the cost of this ring compared to other gold rings, it probably is not of that great value. But it was given to me by Tammy on our wedding day. And so, to me, it has immense value. Whether we realize it or not, we place value on those things that we own. Some things don't cost much, and so maybe they don't have that much value. Some are more difficult to replace, and so we give them higher value. Whether we realize it or not, we value everything in our life. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. See, Jesus tells a story of a man who happened upon this field. And somehow he found a treasure in this field. And he realized that the field had more value than what it appeared to have because of this treasure. And so he didn't want anyone else to know about this treasure and the value of it. And so he, dug, and he uh, did it. He went, he sold everything he had, and he bought this field. Now, it doesn't say this in the story, but I could imagine that while the man is paying all this money to buy this field... There's people around him looking at him doing this, thinking he's crazy. Why would he spend so much on this field that seems to be worth so little? As I said before, we assign value to all things. Our health has value, our family has value, our possessions have value, and on and on. Everything in our lives has some kind of value to us. It is easier to know the value. Like if you have to purchase something, you look at the price, right? And you know exactly what the value of that. They place a value on that. 
I remember when uh, my, my father passed away, and we had this group come in, and they, they gathered all this stuff, and they did this estate sale, and they assigned a value to everything my dad owned. And it was really interesting to see how they valued each thing. We place value on things in our life. Jesus wants us to understand that salvation has value beyond anything else. And that salvation is worth giving everything we have over to it. Jesus says, you need to give your full self everything, your heart, your desires, your will, everything you need to give to me so that you can become that true, faithful Christ follower. And that you can become that person I created you to be. And so that you can do these amazing and wonderful works in your life. And bless the kingdom of God. Works that have eternal value. It's about giving our desires and our wants in everything completely to Jesus. Now this concept is talked about much in the Bible, but let me give you just one example. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We cannot serve both God and money. We must make a choice. We must give a value to each. If our value for being a Christ follower is not greater than our value for money or possessions or what money can do for us, then we will not be a Christ follower. Now, does that statement surprise you? Maybe it shocks you a little bit? Jesus himself said that we could not have God and the world. We have to make a choice. To be truly a Christ follower, we have to take up our cross and follow Jesus completely. We can't have one foot saying, yes, Lord, sometimes I'm going to follow you, but then other times, no, I'm going to be over here and I'm going to do all these things in the world. And then, well, maybe today I'll be a follower of yours, Jesus. And, well, tomorrow, no, I'm going to do. We can't go back and forth. Jesus says, you must sell yourself out completely to me. You must give me all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. You must commit it all to me if you are truly going to be my father. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Jesus knew. And this rich young ruler came to him and wanted to follow him. He knew with the possessions and his money that he had, how it had a hold on him. And so he said to him, sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler couldn't do that. Because his money... His possessions, his position, his title were more important to him than being a Christ follower. We have to search our hearts. Is there something in our life that is holding us back from giving ourselves fully to Christ, fully to serving Christ? If so, you need to say, can I get rid of that? Can I let go of that? Can I release that? Can I truly give myself over? Can I sell everything I have so that I can gain that treasure of salvation? And serving the Lord, doing the work He created me to do. When the convinced sinner sees Christ as the gracious Savior, all other things become worthless. 
And then we see in Matthew 13, 47, 48, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets that threw the bad away. You know, if you've ever bought food in bulk, and those of you who go to Costco probably buy food in bulk often, right? Oftentimes you'll find out that when you open it up and you start taking the food out, inevitably some of it will be bad. When you have this great amount of food, fruit, or whatever, you know, I did that one time we went to Mexico and we bought all these apples, and when we started to pull the apples out, we noticed that a couple of them were not good. Because there are so many, you can't notice that when you're purchasing the bag. But some would inevitably not be good. See, here Jesus says, that he's likening the kingdom of God to catching a great amount of fish. You throw out the net, you catch all that you can, and then you evaluate afterwards what is good and what is not good. Right? Much better to catch all these fish in the net than to throw out, you know, catch one fish at a time, and then determine, oh, that's a good fish, that's not a good fish. Throw out the net, catch as many as you can, and then determine later what is a good fish and what is not. See, when you are talking with someone, when you are sharing the gospel with someone, you can't know what's going on in their life, what's going on in their heart. You can't know if they're ready to receive Jesus at that moment. That is not to be your worry. If God has placed you in the life of someone, share the gospel with them. Tell them about Jesus. If they're going through a struggle, help them understand how being a Christ follower of Jesus can come alongside them. The Holy Spirit can fill them and guide them and, and be with them and, and help them and maybe even heal them and, and, and do something in their life that will put them on the right path. It's not for us to judge. Is that a good person? Is that not a good person? Don't worry about that. Worry about has God placed me in this time to tell someone about Jesus? And I tell you, and I tell you, and I tell you, and I tell you, and I tell you. I don't worry about just one person. I go and tell as many people as God brings to me and let God say, this person is ready, this person is ready. God will determine in the end who are the good fish and who are the bad fish. In other words, who are those who truly have given themselves over to Christ? To be Christ's followers and to serve Him faithfully. See, the one common denominator in each of these parables is the fact that the gospel, the good news of God's love and Jesus' sacrifice, is to be told by you and me to those who do not know Jesus. That is the common thread, the common theme that we, as Christ followers, need to tell people about Jesus. There's a story of a soldier who was walking into this little village, and he came along this fence. And he noticed that there was all these bullseyes. Someone had been shooting targets along this fence, and every one was a bullseye. And he was so amazed at who this sharpshooter was, and he wanted to find him. And so he began to ask in the town, who is this person that is such a great sharpshooter? And finally he came upon the person, and the soldier asked him, what makes you such a great shot? And the man kind of laughed. He said, oh, well, actually it's pretty easy. I shoot first, and then I draw a circle around the hole. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually good advice when we're sharing the gospel, right? 
We shoot first. We just start shooting, right? We just start sharing the faith, sharing the gospel, sharing our testimony, sharing our story, and then we let God draw the circle around those we want. That's how it works. Our job is just to share the story. Share our faith. Let people know about the love and the care of Jesus. That God wants them as a part of his kingdom. I pray that we would make that commitment in 2020. Will you join me in making that commitment? I hope so. Let us pray.